0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Um, it's been four years since I've stood on this stage at Redlands. It's crazy. I don't know how many of you were around four years ago when I preached here last. Put up your hand if you are here. Like maybe 15 of you. So just incredible to see how much has changed uh, in that time. Uh, actually, I remember it was four years ago because it was at that stage where Australia got knocked out of the World Cup. And I said to Manus at that time, I said, mate, I'm not coming back to Redlands until you bring that World Cup home. <laughs> and so if only for me, Marnus has done that. And no, I thank you, Marnus. It's, uh, it's brilliant just to get me back to, to Redlands. He tried really hard just to get me back. So I'm really appreciative of that. Hey, we're in a series all about David. And if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, you would know some things about David. He was a warrior. He was a leader. He was a shepherd. Uh, He was a pretty broken person as well. We heard that last week. Uh, And this week, I want to talk about David, the wild worshipper. David was a wild worshipper. And some of you will know that David wrote a whole bunch of, particularly the Old, well, only the Old Testament, he wrote a whole bunch of uh, books in the Bible that we call the Psalms. And the Psalms are like songs, they're poems, and they're a heart cry of the Psalmist. They're their worship put to paper uh, about their experience and the overflow of their life with God. So it's kind of like a diary entry in that way. And so I thought I would reach out to Brooke Jackson this week and you're in for a treat because I have managed to obtain a sacred artifact, the teenage diary of Sam Jackson. And uh, get ready for a glimpse into the world, the teenage world of Sam Jackson, the heartaches and perhaps perhaps, questionable uh, choices. Uh, I unfortunately forgot to bring the diary with me today, but it'll be up on the screen. And it says on September 3rd, 1990, dear diary, today I summoned up all my courage and asked my crush Emily to the school dance. I practised my suave moves in front of the mirror for hours but when the moment arrived, a bit of soggy bread from my sandwich that I had for lunch came out of my mouth and landed in her eye. Her friends all laughed at me but at least she said yes. I'm gonna go buy some brutes, so I smell really nice. December 31st, 1990, Dear Diary, woohoo, the final entry of 1990, I'm heading to Deimos tonight and I'm going to party like it's 1999. I've decided on my New Year's resolution, become a master of the ultimate dance move, the moonwalk. I'm going to let that live rent free in your head for a while. I've been practicing in my room, but it looks more like I'm fighting an invisible force. Maybe I should uh, just stick to the classic robot. I think I can make this work and become a famous dancer. In other news, my attempt at growing a rebellious teenage mustache uh, failed miserably. It's more like a microscopic caterpillar on my upper lip. I don't know if I'll ever be able to grow facial hair and I think he's proved proved himself wrong in that. February 4th, 1991. Dear diary, my best mate Shane and I have started a garage band. We're calling ourselves Wombat Wobble Wonderland. I think it's really catchy, but Shane isn't sure. Spent the whole day debating who would be the lead singer. I won. In rehearsal, we tried playing Pearl Jam's Jeremy, but my voice cracked so much I sounded like a prepubescent warthog. Shane said we might need to consider it instrumental music and I'm starting to think he's onto something. Watch out world, Wombat Wobble Wonderland are coming for you. Some insights into Sam Jackson's life, the reflections of his mind as a teenager. Interesting. But like Sam, David poured out his heart. And it wasn't so much about his new band or his inability to grow facial hair, but David wrote a whole bunch of Psalms that give us his raw and authentic worship to God. And that was an overflow of his heart and his relationship with God. And I don't know what you know about David, but the Scripture describes David as a man after his own own heart. God says, he's a man after my own heart. And I think that when God describes somebody like that, it's our opportunity to sit up and take notice of who that is. It's a guide for us as we seek to follow Jesus, we seek to understand him, as we seek to worship him greater and magnify him in our lives, to look at a person like David who God describes as the man after his own heart. Now, depending on what you know about David, I think that sometimes we assume that David's worshipping heart comes from some kind of special gifting and anointing. Uh, Yes, David was a musician. David was a musician. He was an excellent musician. But actually, David's worshipping heart came from a relationship and a life lived in pursuit of God. And when we picture David, some of us might be tempted to picture a guy who just, you know, he's a shepherd and he lived in this lush field and he kind of, he was singing this 10 or 1000 BC version of how great is our God. And we get trapped into thinking that that's why he was a worshipper. That the special gifting that he had in his life, that's why David was a worshipper. But as much as David was a songwriter, being a wild worshipper isn't just for singers, as a worship leader and as a worship pastor, I had many people share with me that they're just not worshipers because I didn't feel like God had gifted them with this musical ability, this singer's ability. And I get that. I do, I get that. But I actually don't think that's true because if we've reduced worship to a song, we've restricted it. We've reduced it to a single form or a single expression we've probably even reduced it, if we're honest, to 20 minutes on a Sunday. And that's not what worship is. One of the risks that we run when we think that worship uh, is all about the song, or if we aren't singers that we can't be worshipers, then we lay that expectation on worshipers like Renee and like Matt and like Ben, and like the worship team that get up here every Sunday and we say, hey, we want you to worship on our behalf. We want you to be the worshipers and we'll just stand here and we'll just let you worship for us. And actually, we know, we know that's not what God wants. And David was confronted by that very situation and we get to learn from him today as we pick up um, the Bible. If you'd like to pick up your Bible, you can uh, pick up your Bible or turn it on your phone or it'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It's in 2 Samuel 24. Starting at verse 18, it said, On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. And when Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has the Lord the king come to his servant? To buy the threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my Lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offerings, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox, ox yokes for the wood. Your Majesty, Aruna, gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king, this is David, Replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so, David, well, God comes to David and he says to David, I know it's been a tough time. I know it's been a tough time, but I'm going to bring revival and I'm going to bring healing to the land. And that was good news today because 70,000 people had just died in a famine. Can you imagine that? 70,000 people have died. But God comes to David and says, I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to bring revival. But first, David, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the threshing floor of Aruna, And I want you to build an altar. And I want you to bring me a sacrifice. Worship me there. And so Aruna hears about this. And he says, instead of selling you the land, David, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm gonna give you the oxen. I'm gonna give you the, 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 the timber to light the fire on the altar. I'm gonna give it all to you because I love you. You're my king and I love God and, and I want to worship God. And David could have been like, awesome. Awesome. I've got everything I need and I've got it all for nothing. But there is a problem there. There's a big problem there. You see, God hadn't asked Aruna to bring a sacrifice of praise. He didn't ask for Aruna's worship. He asked for David's worship. And right there in that moment, David was faced with the problem, the situation that we are faced with every single week as we gather. See, David, excuse me, David could have stood there because he got the, the threshing floor for free. He got the sacrifice for free. He got the timber for free. And he could have satisfied God's Demand for worship without any personal sacrifice whatsoever. Can you see it? Can you resonate with it? Here's David saying, Aruna, I've had a really busy week. I've had a busy week as king. And I want to thank you for turning the air con on. I want to thank you for turning the lights on. I want to thank you for putting the seats out and putting the cards in the seat. Thanks for organising the welcome team and the sound guys. Thanks for organising the worship leader and the worship band. Because you know what, Aruna, they're they're better than my worship team. They're better than my worship band. And today, Aruna, I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to enjoy the sweet, sweet sounds of the threshing floor band. That's what he could have said. That's what David was confronted with. And it's an easy thing to do, to stand back and to watch. But if you look at verse 24, David says, No way. I insist on paying you. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And you know what David learned on that day? They learned that God's not asking you to bring somebody else's worship. He wants your worship. He wants your heart. Being a wild worshiper isn't a, just for singers. It's not just for the blessed few, right? It's for all of us, because God wants our worship, our hearts, our life. Being a wild worshiper isn't just for singers. And point number two is that being a wild worshipper isn't just a wild moment. Let's flip back a little bit in Scripture to 2 Samuel 6, verse 12 to 15. And it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God God, from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, She despised him in her heart. Wow. And so what we see here is David and his army bringing the Ark of the Covenant home. And the Ark of the Covenant is really significant for the Israelites. This is the manifest presence of God. Really important, right? And David brings it home and with rapturous joy and worship, he strips down to his undies, his linen ephod, This is wild worship. If you saw that anywhere, this would be wild worship. If you saw Ben get up here in this moment and he strips down to his undies, that's wild worship, isn't it? And the atmosphere is charged. It's charged with worship as David, the King of Israel. A respected figure brings the Ark of the Covenant home with a procession and leads with everything that he has. The sound of jubilant music fills the valleys and the mountains around Jerusalem. The ark's carried into the city. Dave's heart overflows with Thanksgiving, and he can't help but express his adoration to God. It's so wild that somehow loses his clothes. But I don't know if you notice Michelle's reaction at the end. And if you don't know, Michelle is actually David's wife. It says there that it's Saul's daughter, and that's true, but she's also David's wife. She looks out the window and she's embarrassed. She's embarrassed. And I know some of you wives here this morning going, yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But this is different. She's ashamed. It says that she despised him in her heart she didn't see a wild worshipper she sees a guy who's disgracing himself in public in reality the type of worship that David is showing here in his undies is humiliating it's undignified and you could go as far as saying it's uh, indecent it's indecent now let alone thousands of years ago but David doesn't seem to care In fact, later on in that scripture, he says, I don't care. What mattered to him more was worshipping the Lord, laying it all out and saying, God, I give you everything in this moment. Adoration and praise. He wasn't worshipping so that people looked at him and said, gee, that guy's a great worshipper. Look at how he's worshipping. He danced and he worshipped only for the Lord. And I wonder if you've ever had that sense of abandonment, that sense of freedom that releases you from whatever you think might be the expectations of the people around you and to be solely focused on the Lord. Have you ever been so focused on giving God glory that it didn't matter what it looked like to other people? Because that's what David's modeling here. David got lost in wild worship. But as much as that makes a great snapshot or a great scene in the life of David, that doesn't tell the entire story because David's worship life wasn't just a singular expression. It wasn't just a singular moment. David's worship life was a lifestyle. It was a daily pursuit of God. And David was known actually for his relentless Pursuit of God's presence. In uh, 1 Samuel, just a little bit earlier in David's life, 1 Samuel 16, we see Saul, who was the king before David, is being tormented by an evil spirit. And he calls on David, he says, Come to me, David, because he knew that there was a tangible presence of God in David's life. And that was a presence cultivated through a lifestyle of worship. A lot of you will know Psalm 23, which is Psalm of David, where he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this wasn't just a poetic line that David writes as he overlooks the mountain. David knew the importance of a shepherd in the life of a sheep. He knew that a shepherd is a constant provider. A shepherd is a a constant protector and a presence For David, worship wasn't an isolated moment. It's an acknowledgement that God was his constant guardian, the ever-present provider, the abiding presence in every aspect of existence. Now, Jesus also spoke about how worship is more than an event. And in John chapter four, he encounters that woman in the world that Sam talked about earlier. And he writes, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit. And in truth, and here's what I reckon that Jesus is saying in that moment, in that scripture, as He talks to the woman at the well about spirit and in truth, God is seeking people who will worship Him with their whole being, with an understanding of who God is. Spirit, meaning that it's going beyond just emotion, it's from the heart, it's their whole being. And truth is an understanding that God is not just some vague, unknowable being, but He's God revealed to us. He's God revealed in scripture. He's God revealed in our lives. He's God revealed as we walk with Him and He presences Himself with us, spirit and truth. And in essence, Jesus is calling us to a lifestyle, a lifestyle of worship. A continual, heartfelt pursuit of God in spirit and in truth, acknowledging Him for who He truly is. And sometimes I think we're guilty of chasing the worship experience over the worship life. We look for that kind of last night at youth camp experience where we're relying on emotion to feel close to God. But let me tell you, as somebody who's done that at various points in their life, if you're chasing that worship experience, but not living the worship lifestyle, it'll all seem very disingenuous. It'll all be very fleeting. Because when the music fades and the buzz wears off, and you're back to feeling alone and disconnected from the Lord, and you kind of feel like you just need another experience, right? And I think we're often guilty of chasing that worship experience but we neglect the lifestyle that precedes it. But when we flip that, we turn that on its head and we embrace a lifestyle of worship when our words, our actions, our dreams, our desires and our pursuits are offered to God as worship. We don't need to chase the experience because suddenly our whole life is interconnected connection with the Lord. It's intertwined with Him. And if we chase a moment rather than a lifestyle, we rip ourselves off by having a life dotted with worship rather than filled with worship. Now, I don't know how, uh, how many of you guys are Broncos fans, but I'm a, I'm a Broncos fan. <laughs> I've been following those guys uh, since I started watching the NRL. NRL. 30 years ago, I'm a big Broncos fan, and I've been really lucky in that 30 years to follow a team who has been sensational. They've been a great club to follow, except for the last five years. It's not been a great five years for us. We've been pretty woeful, truly terrible in fact. We ended up with the first wooden spoon in our club's history only a few years ago. But this year, this year we finally found a little bit of momentum. We found some form through good leadership, we found some form through hard work, and whilst I'm not a club member, I did take uh, my eldest boys to some games over the last five years, Um, and we really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed uh, experiencing that with them. Only one of my boys actually follows the Broncos, and I'm praying desperately for the other. but this, I love just joining in that experience. You know, you go to Suncorp Stadium, it's 50,000 people lifting up a cheer. You watch the Broncos fans in all their jerseys flooding through the gates, finding the seat that they own, you know, the one they turn up to every single week. It's been great standing with people, fans through thick and thin, who are soaking in that moment, right? Savoring the taste of success after a few years of heartbreak. But then there's this crew that have only showed up in the last 12 months and they know, they've showed up because they know the Bronx are going to win and they're waving their flags, they're cheering along with us, they're even doing the you know, the fist pumps in the air as we get the tries and these are the bandwagon crew, they're the fair weather fans, they're the ones that have jumped on just as the success kind of comes along. For them the thrill is the victory, the celebration, the collective buzz of the crowd and this This is what I reckon we see in the world of worship sometimes. There's those who chase the championship moments, the grand final moments, the lively worship service, the conferences, the events that provide the emotional high and there's nothing wrong with that. But when life throws its challenges or when the worship experience doesn't live up to what we expect, the commitment maybe starts to waver, waver a little bit. And they're missing out on the chance for a consistent, enduring relationship with God through daily devotion, through prayer, and through a life devoted, dedicated to worship. And just as genuine sports fans, right, genuine Broncos fans support their team through victories and through defeats, I've come to realize that worshippers, wild worshippers, maintain a constant connection with God through thick and thin, They seek Him in the jubilant moments, the moments of praise, where you're high on the mountaintop. And you seek Him in those moments of solitude, reflection, those moments that are a little bit lower in life, where you feel alone and desperate and needy. And even though worship does change its tone through those seasons, the commitment isn't swayed by the highs and lows of emotional experience, but it's rooted in enduring desire and a love to live the life of worship with God. He's present in every season. Being a wild worshipper is not just a wild moment. And being a wild worshipper isn't just when we feel good. David's life wasn't just a pure, up and to the right, ascent to victory. He faced numerous challenges. You would have heard over the last bunch of weeks, the challenges he's faced, including wars and battles. People hunted him down. He was persecuted. He had his own personal failures. People around him let him down. And yet in the highs and the lows, he maintained a heart of worship. When we look at David as somebody that we can learn from, we see that being a wild worshipper isn't just reserved for the times of success or excess. It's a constant, it's a constant posture of the heart, acknowledging God's sovereignty in every season. Worship, in its simplest definition, showing God worth. And I think there's a case to say that when we don't feel like it, when worship is hard, when it costs us more, it actually potentially has more worth. It's easy to worship. You know this. I know this. It's easy to worship when everything's going right. It's easy to worship when family life is awesome, when life at work is great, when school feels like it's you know pumping along, you're getting those wins. It's easy to worship then. But when it comes to those hard moments in life, it's challenging to worship. David knew that. We know that. I've experienced that in my own life. About 10 years ago, in 2014, my family went through the hardest season of our lives where my sister-in-law took her life and it was crushing like truly crushing to us and to our family. And we were confused and we were disillusioned. And in that moment, you kind of feel like you've got nothing to give to God because there's no no high to jump off, right? There's no emotional connection. And in that moment, you're faced with this, decision of, will I worship God because He's God or will I worship, will I not worship Him because I don't feel like it? And I could have stepped into that. I could have said, God, I don't feel like worshiping. It's not in me today. It's not in me right now. I don't feel like it. But I had an understanding through that pain that God was calling me to worship Him in this time of trauma, this time of grief, this time of unknowing. And in that time where I lifted up my song, my heart, my life and said, God, in the middle of all the crap, all the junk, all the, all the tears, God, you're still worthy. God, you're still constant. God, you're still holy. God, you're still in control. I was reminded of who he was in that moment. And David, whilst he faced his own times of feeling like God had abandoned him, feeling like the world was against him. All these things went wrong in his life, just like I experienced, just like you experienced. He faced his own time where worship wasn't a reaction to the warm and fuzzies with God. It wasn't even a reaction to feeling close to God. This is a guy after God's own heart. Most of his worship that we see recorded in Psalms isn't because he felt close to God, but he knew who God was. In Psalm 22, David starts with some, what might be familiar words to a whole bunch of you. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And he continues in verse six, but I am a worm, not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. See, David is being mocked. He's being mocked for following the very God that he feels distant and disconnected from. But David still worships. And maybe you sit here today and you feel forsaken by God. Maybe your cries of anguish have gone seemingly unnoticed, unanswered. And maybe you've even been mocked by others because the thing that you believed for, the thing that you had faith for, maybe that hasn't come to fruition, come to pass in the way that you thought it would. But maybe today is the day that you worship God in the journey of trusting Him. In Psalm 51, David writes his prayerful worship after stuffing up. We heard about the ways that David stuffed up last week. He's just had an affair with Bathsheba and David knows he's stuffed up. He knows it. He's feeling the guilt and shame. And he writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David, in the midst of his own brokenness and the guilt and the shame, he knows that God is holy and God is worthy of praise. Continuing later, he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're stuffed up. I have. I've stuffed up plenty of times in my life, but, and maybe this is causing you to turn your back on God. Turn your back because sometimes You're feeling that shame and you're feeling it's too hard to overcome. So you just keep your back turned to God. But maybe today, maybe today is the day that you need to turn and face God in His goodness and in His mercy, His kindness and His sovereignty in His majesty. And in your worship, recognize His holiness Pour out your heart and ask for forgiveness, just as David did. Again, David in Psalm 27 pours out his heart in worship. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple. David's waiting on the Lord. Physical enemies coming to attack Him. It's worship in a time of trouble. But David knows who his God is. And this Psalm is covered in triumph and confidence because he knows who God is. And maybe today, you stand in that confidence of God. You know that you've got enemies. But you know that God is stronger. Or maybe, maybe the fear of your enemies has got you trapped. It's crippling you and it's causing you to retreat. Maybe today, today you need to stand and to worship the God who is able to do immeasurably more than what you could think of, ask of, or imagine. Maybe that's the day today. The Psalms, these songs are born out of David's life as a worshiper. They're life songs. And far from being the exception, that's what God is inviting us all into. He's inviting us into that same relationship, the one that pours out our life in worship. And I don't know where you are in your walk of faith today, but we have an invitation to emulate David's example by praising God, not only on the mountaintop, if that's where you are, but also in the valleys, recognizing that true worship, wild worship